Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the Outkick network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Second hour, we've got NFL headlines for you and college football discussion, NIL discussion. There's been another trade in the NFL. Titans are acquiring Ugo Amadi. A safety for the Eagles for all of about nine days, I believe, because he was with, with the Seahawks. They uh, traded him to uh, to Philly last week, and now he ends up in Nashville, which is where he's from. He played locally in the Nashville area at Overton High School and then at Oregon. The Titans, uh, strangely enough, now have two players from Overton High School. Theo Jackson yeah, and Ugo Amati that's right. were teammates at Overton High School and now are teammates – for the hometown Tennessee Titans, the defensive backfield. For yeah. a safety, this is second trade for a safety in about 10 days, two weeks. They traded for Tyree Gillespie from the Raiders. So they've clearly got some issues at backup safety where Theo Jackson reemerged this week, He's been uh, mentioning up. him. And he was playing nickel cornerback today because they're thin there. But they've got a lot wow. of guys at backup safety. And then right they, uh, they, Claimed Lonnie Johnson off waivers and moved him to safety. He played He's listed safety, as a corner. And he, he was pretty good in the game. He played a lot of safety in Houston. Um, and Kansas City cut him early. I talked to him after the game. They said, you know, they told me what they were doing. They are kind of doing me a favor, getting me out there early so that I had a chance to establish. So now Gillespie, um, Johnson, and, and Amadi, uh, you know, maybe, maybe the Titans are five deep at safety. I don't know. We'll uh, update you for sure. on more details if they if they come about. Um, Late conditional, I would imagine. Yes. Uh, it's a 2024 pick is what Schefter is saying. A late 2024 draft pick, conditional. Um, Nick Saban gets a raise. He's now the highest paid coach in college football, so he's back ab- above Kirby Smart. Um, he is one now of six college football coaches who will earn at least $9 million this season. You want to know the other five? I can guess. One of these guys is not like the other in terms of name recognition. Jimbo Fisher. Yeah. Kirby, you mentioned. Yeah. Brian Kelly. Yes. Uh, Dabo Sweeney. No. Hmm. Nope. So Ryan Day's not making that. So not Ohio State. Lincoln He's making Riley. just under nine. Lincoln Riley. No. <laughs> There's one guy that uh, you guys are going to be like, oh, of course. Cincinnati. No. No, they're not paying... They're not paying. There's Luke, one outside Luke the box Fickle name. Though. You guys haven't named Ryan Day. That's an obvious one in Ohio okay, State. Okay, yeah, sorry. There's another outside the box name, though. Jim Harbaugh James would Franklin? have been close to that no. list, but they, he, he took a pay cut. Mel Tucker. Oh, that's right. Mel Tucker yeah. at Michigan State. He He's had, on this list. He had a great year, and he cha-chinged. Cha-chinged yeah. his way on up after that great year. So the contract for Saban is to 2030? Yeah, they just extended him by a year, and he's now over the next – let me get this right. It's like over the next nine years, he's going to make uh, like ninety million. He's going to be pushing seventy nine years old in twenty thirty. I can't. I just saw the length of that, and I'm thinking, 
I mean, he's going to be almost 80 at the end of that contract. Nine years is a long time. Dylan and Tyler, if you guys are in the back, just give me a heads up. Um, we, we Last week, I pulled a clip from the Dan Patrick Show with Nick Saban um, discussing retirement. And we never, we had so much time, we ran out of time and never got around to it. We'll, we'll pull that and then, because it's organic conversation here, um, we will we'll play his answer. I thought it was very telling on where his mindset is. And then that was, what, two, two weeks, weeks ago? ago or three weeks ago? Now, you know, today they announced that he's... Yeah, it's so, They've been extended by a year, but he's now... What, what it does is he is now officially the, right. the highest paid head coach. I just know he's 70. Eight years from now, he's going to be 78. I, I, I mean, maybe. I, I've always thought Nick Saban is a lifer for the most part. I don't Die know that coaching. he's going to retire yeah. and go do a lot of other things. So... Maybe he coaches till he's almost 80. Colin has the audio for us. Here is Dan Patrick discussing retirement with Nick Saban a couple of weeks ago. When's the last time you thought about retiring? Uh, I, I don't really think about retiring. I always think about what the heck am I going to do if I do retire? <laughs> and uh, that, that's, a scary, that's a scary thought. Um, I don't think about so, it either, Coach, when people say, how much longer are you going to do this? And I go, I... I don't know why I, I I like doing what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm going to do if when I stop doing it. That's exactly how I feel, and um, I I don't know if that's hard for people to understand. There's nothing that I want to do like some people want to go to Europe or go to Scotland and play golf and all that. I I, I don't you know I, I wouldn't mind doing all that stuff, but I don't have to quit my job to do it. <laughs> I, I worry about you know what am I going to do if I don't do this? And and when I say what am I going to do, I don't mean play golf or whatever. I mean, how are you going to get any kind of positive self-gratification, the feeling of accomplishment when you've done something for so long that you like so much and then all of a sudden it's not there. So that's it's a good question. I don't really have the answer to that one. People are wired one of two ways, I think. Uh, you either you, you want to get to that stage where you go travel to Europe and play golf and do all that stuff before you're ideally before you're too old, spend time with the grandkids and stuff like that. Or you work up until the day you, you feel like you want to work up until the day you die. And some of those people, when they finally reach the end, may be presented to them not of their own volition, oftentimes, you know, pass away in yeah. relative short order without work. It's your lifeblood in, it, in, in a way. I tend to be judgmental about it because uh, as I've gotten older, and you guys know this, it's especially for men, you identify yourself by your work to a ridiculous degree. You know, and I won't, people say, who are you? And I don't say I'm Teresa's husband or Simon's father. I say I'm a sports writer and sportscaster, uh, you know, which isn't something I'm, I'm proud of. But I think Nick Saban's wired to the extreme in, in that regard. It also just doesn't seem like work to Nick Saban, hearing him discuss it. I think he just truly loves it. I don't think he views it as some burden. He likes getting up and having a team to report to. He talked about self-gratification. He's clearly a guy who bases his gratification in life on work yielding results. And he's not going to have that anymore. And I don't, I'm not here to say that that's healthy or unhealthy or what, that's just how he's wired and who yep. he is. He doesn't see any other form of gratification coming from anything else. Him going to have fun doesn't give him any self gratification. I think is what he's saying. My gratification and a job well done for the day comes with going and doing something I love helping people reach their goals, but ultimately me reaching my goal with that team and then seeing if we can accomplish it or not. And that's what – I'm not going to say that keeps him going because he's a very fit, seemingly healthy guy. It's not like this is what's keeping him alive. 
but it is part of his lifeblood, right? It and kept that's Joe Paterno alive, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's true. Uh, Bear Bryant in that same interview, uh, Patrick asked, Dan Patrick asked Saban, he's like, "Could you get gratification if you retired and then went and coached as a defensive coordinator in high school? Like, could you get that same reward and feeling?" And Saban was like, look, I, I really enjoy He's like, one of the more gratifying days of my year is when we have our camps and you get one-on-one like instruction with kids that are going to go back and you may never see them again, but they're going to take whatever you told them in that 24-hour period or however long they're on campus and turn that into their football season and then potentially a big career. He's like, I get a lot of gratification out of that, but I'm also, I'm, and I'm paraphrasing, I'm also not going to be on the phone and tell you that I don't want to coach at the highest level of college football. Like that being at Bama and winning and having that tradition, I think also plays into his drive. And you're right. I think he views it more as a hobby uh, than anything else. And, you know, far, I think far too often we're also a part of it where you reach a certain age and you start thinking, uh, we see a coach reach a certain age. Like, okay, how much longer is it going to be at Bama? And I think a part of that too is sec fans going, all right, looking at your watch, how, how much longer do we have to put up with Bama you know, before we have a, sh- a chance again? And I think that's why we try to hurry the, the process up a You're bit. You're dead right on that. I mean, every fan of an SEC team that's not uh, Crimson Tide is, wants that clock yeah, to count. If you're trying to climb the mountain, oh, and you're like, well, news. give yeah. it five years, save it will be out. Well, give it three years or give it seven years. It, it always continues to add up a couple more every time they announce this on an annual basis. I've always said that the SEC is not going to have much of a chance long-term until Nick Saban dies because I don't see Nick Saban stepping away from all the success that he's created Alabama. I don't see him willingly doing that. And that interview reiterates that for me. And make no mistake about it, this is terrible news for the rest of college football. (laughs) Exactly. That that contract was announced that he may coach until he's 80. This is not some, oh, man, we're going to have late years Nick Saban to go against, and that's going to be a lot easier. Oh, no. Oh, no. He's going to be just fine. He's going to put in the same amount of work, and he's going to continue to destroy almost everyone else. Now, the curveball in this is Kirby Smart and what he's done in Georgia. That's now you've got the two-power system in the SEC as opposed to just Bama being the team to beat every year. We've got plenty of time. We're going to hit NIL in just a moment. Here's a graphic. 24-7 Sports put this out today. Here's a graphic since 2007. since, Since Saban entered the SEC... Um, and we can go full screen. If there we go, this is these are the coaches who have been fired or resigned since Saban was hired in the conference. Everyone from Ed Ogeron to Dan Mullen to Barry Odom to Steve Spurrier, Bobby Johnson, Bobby Petrino, Houston. We don't have to go through all, John L. Smith, Gene Chizik, Joker Phillips, Derek Dooley. I mean, there are so many recognizable head coaches. Phil Fulmer, and then there's Saban up top since he entered. It, 2007 to me doesn't seem like that long ago. It, like it, it, personally, I, I don't think it no. seems like that long ago. But in this regard, but look it seems at the like a turnover long time. of head coaches and think about. Here's what I thought about Chad when I saw this. Think about the buyout money that has been spent on these guys to fire them. Twenty four seven putting that together, the, and I, I believe I've seen a tweet that has that ex- exact figure. I mean, it's a Fortune 50 company. When you look at the number yes. of the, the buyout for, for these it coaches. It does feel like a longer time ago, Hutton, when you look at it and see names like Sylvester Croom <laughs> and Bobby Johnson, who feel like yeah. they right. were eons ago. And Phil Fulmer ago. as a yeah. coach, even. It feels so long ago. Joker Phillips. 
it feels like a long time since Les Miles was the head coach at LSU. Quite it frankly. also, honestly, that list seems even smaller. <laughs> like looking at it, it almost feels like it could be longer, longer. given Saban's success. And some some of these programs lack of success. Others just in this sort of mediocre to good range where you're kind of in purgatory yeah, they eat when you're own. comparing yourself with Alabama and Nick Saban. Yep. I well, mean, Tennessee on there four times, Arkansas on there four times. I mean, you just look at the logos repeating Mississippi themselves. Mississippi State's Ole on Miss there three times. Is on there four times. Sumlin A&M. Auburn is ripped. on there three times. <laughs> I mean, Auburn. And Orgeron is on there twice. Yeah. Now, let's yeah. think about this with Auburn, too. In that time of Nick Saban's dominance, Auburn has won a national championship and been to another national championship game under two different coaches. And they've still seen three different coaches in that span. And they've beaten Alabama more than any other team. That's amazing success. In the Nick them, Saban really. era. Well, keep in mind, too, this is only a list for fired or resigned. So Kiffin's not on this list. That's true. Right? So he's leaving for another job. Uh, a coach leaves for the NFL or leaves for a, another job. I was going to say a higher, a better job. But it's, it's hard to argue in the SEC that you're getting a better job. A lateral job, we'll say. Um in, in Kiffin's case, Tennessee to Southern Cal, we know how that worked out. Point being, the list is, lo- is longer of the number of coaches that have been in the conference. We're just only seeing the ones who have been fired or resigned. Yeah, a good example is, um, uh, and also conference to conference, right? Dan Mullen left Mississippi State to go to Florida. So he wasn't fired at Mississippi State, right, so yeah. that's not on there, but that was... But he's on there for Florida. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like Sudoku. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to put all the numbers together, and my eyes are crossing as I'm looking at the list and trying to figure it all out. Bottom line is, the SEC has seen the greatest coach of all time run, yeah. run through everyone else. And, I mean, we can sit and blame the other schools all day long, but at the end, it's just Nick Saban is that great. And he ran everyone else off and beat everyone else. Again, props to 24-7 Sports for, the, for that graphic, and uh, we pulled it off of Twitter. It was eye-opening for me because it puts everything in perspective. Yeah, that was good. Um, Chad, put in perspective for us what Amazon's doing at, at USC and the money that's going to be made with this NIL program. Well, we go from a 24-7 Sports story to an On3 Sports story oh. that just happened to be founded by the same guy uh, in Shannon Terry. But On3 with a report, this is from Pete Nakos, at on three, Amazon launches NIL program with officially licensed apparel. I'll try to break this down as simple as can be. They're utilizing USC as their test school, but it's not just USC athletes doing this. Basically, they've got their own apparel line. They're trying to rival Fanatics. Right now in that space, Fanatics for team merchandise is the top dog. Well, Amazon has the distribution to disrupt any market and be an immediate contender for the top spot in almost any, any market out there. So they're trying to be better than Fanatics at doing this. They're creating their own team apparel. It's specific to players. There's a, a USC football player and a USC female track star mm-hmm. right now that has a, the, the track star has an officially licensed USC track uniform that's customized with something about her on it that she's selling on Amazon. Now, how is this a big deal? They're going to get a percentage of every jersey sold. So anything sold through Amazon for that team, for that player, the individual players are going to get a cut of that. On top of that, Amazon initially is going after very highly followed athletes. 
So they're looking at social media follows, and they're giving them four to five figures just to tweet, to post on Instagram, to post on Facebook, links to these items that they're going to be selling. I think it's a brilliant move by Amazon. It's very simplistic and easy to figure out how it all works. And I think this is going to be a big deal for some well, different programs. And keep this in mind, we're going we're talking about Alabama also. Alabama recently announced a a, a deal with Fanatics where they're going to open their first team store online through Alabama for NIL. So Fanatics has partnered with Alabama exclusively on the Alabama team store to be officially licensed Fanatics gear that's going to be personalized with players' names on it that they can sell and pay back NIL to Alabama athletes. Well, now Amazon is partnered with USC. Amazon's not going to stop there. Auburn quarterback TJ Finley. There's a Clemson basketball player that recently announced on Instagram they're partnering with Amazon on their own gear. This has a chance to be big time in NIL for a lot of athletes. This, I love this. This is the spirit of name image likeness. I agree with that. This is right in line with what this was supposed to be. Where if you, I wore a number 17 MTSU jersey in college for Clint Marks, the quarterback. He didn't make a dime off of that when I purchased it. The university got all the money. This is in the spirit of profiting off of your name, image, and likeness. So if it's simply marketing your stuff and you get a percentage of, of your gear, I love this. And then... You There's build, nothing wrong with this whatsoever. You know, through your play, and yeah. you can take it further through your social media activity your popularity. and your popularity yeah. and how yeah. you build those accounts. You you get rewards. We all buy merch of of you know something bands, uh, you know logo of, of a company you like, whatever. Um, you're right. This this is more in line with the spirit of it than virtually anything we've heard about. And this doesn't involve any kind of recruitment yeah, it's, or any of that. You, this is say, kind you, get, of you get to state what it part. is. Yeah. Get, it, it's simply this. You don't have to say it's a $50,000 scholarship if you're an offensive lineman. and You, know, right. you don't have to say anything. anything well, that S- doesn't, SMU paying $36,000 to every go. football and basketball player. That's, that's simple. And... <laughs> Right up front, but you know you're just paying athletes to in- enhance your ability to recruit talent to your school. Is, you, is what that is. Why do you think they're starting this, with USC? This is absolutely the spirit of name, image, likeness. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it's the Los Angeles connection, and, and it's hard to see how it's really just USC that that's in the first paragraph of the story. But it's T.J. Finley at Auburn. It's a Clemson basketball player. There are other schools getting involved, and they they are saying there's going to be a lot of brands that oh, are going yeah. to be associated with Amazon to come. So I wouldn't say it's just USC. They're looking at USC as kind of their test study for how this is going to go and how they want to do it. They're going to smooth out some of the wrinkles with USC. Um, keep this in mind also, and this is coming directly from the story, talking about Fanatics, they're the leader in the merchandise space right now for team apparel. But this is something Amazon can counter. The company can also market their NFL merchandise on their new NFL Thursday night football package throughout the year. That's exclusive Amazon content. And the Big Ten's TV contract announcement, Commissioner Kevin Warren left the door open for conference games to stream on Amazon. So are we going to be watching an Amazon Prime game between Ohio State and Illinois? And during the breaks, they're, hey, get this C.J. Stroud officially licensed jersey at the Amazon Ohio State store, yeah, and proceeds proceeds go back to the athlete. C.J. Stroud gets part of it. 
the star running back for Illinois or whoever, but they could segment it out by teams and you can start to market it that way as well. Um, you mentioned Amazon and Thursday night football. I want to pass this along. So by the they, way, nearly 200 million people visit Amazon each month, 200 million people. Anyway, I mean, continue. Yeah. Uh, they came to an agreement with DirecTV. So DirecTV will be the cable provider for Thursday night football for bars and restaurants and mass distribution, like at a, your at your local establishment, uh, because there was a, Concern. a number of bars saying that hey, we don't have the ability to stream Amazon Prime to we don't have the rights to do that on a, 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 a mega TV. scale right yeah. throughout our entire building. So Directv is going to uh, I don't know if they're paying or what's going on, but Amazon is making it possible. They came to an agreement where Directv will be doing that. It's, that does not mean that it's available on DirecTV across every there's, platform. There's nothing that sounds easy about that, though. No. But for the bars, I feel like this is going to be a very complicated process to make sure you have the specific package and you're ready to go. Well, Opening Thursday night game of the year, you got a packed house at your local, your, your town's local sports bar. It should be. To make sure everything's in line. Okay, I've got the right pay-per-view package to distribute this throughout the bar. Yeah. I just feel like there's going to be a lot of problems with it. With there should, to there figure should it be out. because they've, they've done this for years with UFC pay-per-views or WWE pay-per-views or th there's a special uh, transmission. Don't of you that pay that per get. capacity? Yeah, it's based on your capacity of your establishment. You have to pay them a certain amount based on how many people could get in the, in the yeah, door. But they, yeah. And then you is, get a special code and feed from the cable provider for that. And this is starting week two. The first Thursday night game is NBC. Um, like a Sunday night football game. Completely, completely aside, but I just thought about this. And Hutton, you may know the answer because you're a UFC guy. When they're counting amount of pay-per-views purchased across wherever, do they include the sports bar yes. capacity? Yes. So that's that's part of the number, I'm assuming. Yeah, but I mean, so if it's different sports bars not, buy it, they add up all of those yes. as one individual buy for yep. the capacity of those sports bars. Yes, but okay, but it doesn't count as one. It counts as however many you could pack in there. But oh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, they, yeah. they it goes you get credit not, for it being full, even though it's not, not necessarily exactly. Full. It's, yeah, but you're it's not gonna ordering go up exponentially. It. You're not way. ordering it unless, unless it can be full because the price paid. is not worth it for that bar yeah. to spend seven grand on an empty house. Yeah. So you're it. It's a packed house if you're ordering. It. We went and watched you're a fight likely, one time, and it was packed at our old station. Yeah, you're likely a promotional event. You're likely charging at the door or something for these. These are the mega. Events. I feel right? like the it was a Mayweather fight, I think, or Pacquiao that we saw. And it was that, that bar made their money back that night. Yeah, yeah. it was crowd. loaded. Yeah. You you can you do some damage <laughs> if you get the if you get the right fight on at the bar. And in this case, it's not surely it's not costing them nearly as much. Um it, it it's just coming through direct TV. So my guess is because they're a subscriber to direct TV, they're getting this this option. Because Amazon wants their product visible at the sports bars, you know? No different than if you're watching NBC or CBS. Do you remember when it was a big deal that if you stayed in a hotel that had HBO? Yes. And you could yeah, watch HBO, HBO, and they had it on the sign, free Pool HBO. Pool and HBO, that was... Uh, and it was... I, I remember going to, like, get... You know, every room would have the HBO, like, the guide. Yeah. It was like the TV guide of HBO that was a fold-out that'd be on the nightstand, and you'd see what was on HBO and, and watch it in your room. Simpler times. Coming up, our SEC Spotlight, we head to Florida, Gainesville. The Gators and new head coach, Billy Napier. Our preview of the Florida Gators 2022 season is next on OutKick 360.
Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I was surprised by this. Did you know... The Florida Gators offense was second in the SEC in yards per play last season. That would surprise I most. was stunned. Given. They were 11th. The problem is they were 11th on defense. 11th in yards allowed per game. Outkick 360 rolls on. Our 360 SEC conversation. They're also terribly undisciplined <laughs> on both sides. Yeah. Many penalties. So they scored 31 points a game last season. Can they match that number? Defensively, they allowed 27 points per game last year. That's more points than every SEC team except for Vanderbilt, Missouri, and Tennessee. Can the Gators lower that number down? We put on here the, the, the stick is around 20. Can they, on average, allow just 20 points per game? And if so, what does that mean for Billy Napier's first season as head coach in Gainesville? I, I, it's weird to me for this team that the conversation went very quickly from how poorly he was recruiting to how Florida's going to surprise everybody this year. Uh, look out for this guy. And I just, I missed the transition. You're nodding, Hut. Yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, where, where was the transition from one to the other? Because he was getting killed for the one well, front. I understand it's two different baskets. But my How, tendency is to think if you're not, if you don't come in and you don't do well at the this, one right off the gate, I'm not going to anoint you I, on the second. Well, he's he's picked it up in recruiting. They're, they're on a, a terrific hot streak for Florida right now, where I think they're up in the top ten for this upcoming year. Now that initial class was not very good. Yeah, the first did the, some things late, but yeah, the, the his first class, which was the one right after he was hired, is not very impressive. But next year's class is looking really good. There's so, big names to follow. I think that are in the state that he's probably going to add. Um, that, I, that photo, by the way, of him with the analyst and the team is unreal. I mean, it's three to one coaches to 60 players. 60 people. It's, I, 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 we could probably find it and show it also, it here but it's, it is nuts. Looking at this picture of the Florida, uh, the Florida team picture with the ratio of players to coaches. <laughs> that to me is just silly. I understand what they're going for is that we're we're forming an army yeah. and I have a plan and Billy Napier is very big on that plan and I know exactly how to take Florida football back to the top and okay, but that seems a little excessive. Uh, I can't imagine everyone in that photo has got real important work they're doing uh, in terms of analysis. Um, Guys, you'll have to, in the back, they'll have to Google this because I don't have access to the one photo here. It's blocking me out. I need a username, so maybe you can find it. It's 119 players on 140 staff members. It's crazy. That's outrageous. I, I, I am not optimistic on Florida this year. And it's not, so it's like we were discussing yesterday, Chad, and Paul, uh, whenever SEC Media Day was going on, I harped on this too. I, I'm not optimistic on Ole Miss. But then I look at Ole Miss's schedule, and it's hard not to be optimistic about Ole Miss this year. I look at Florida's schedule Killer. opening up against Utah. 
then playing Kentucky, um, and Tennessee. South Florida, and then on the road in Knoxville. Then they go to Knoxville. That is not That's a, a favorable start for Billy Napier this season. And and then he's got LSU, Georgia, A and M back to back yep. to back during the season. It's not a favorable schedule by any means. So I, I look at it, Chad, and I think, well, a part of me wants to say I'm blinded by the way the car crash um, was viewed by all with Dan Mullen towards the end of last year. Like, I don't want to judge them based on the mess that was versus what people believe or is, can get back on the tracks with Billy Napier. And he was a very good coach at Louisiana. But at the same time, I don't see any positives from that four-game stretch where it ends September 24th in Knoxville. I know, I know the history, the recent history, the long-term history between the Gators and the Vols. But opening up against Utah, a, a program that has their top college 10. football playoff aspirations, um, that's a marquee matchup for them to be on the map, already ranked seventh, and to go on the road in Gainesville and an opportunity with a statement win right out of the chute, followed by hosting Kentucky, which has not been easy for Florida in recent years. It's always been a kind of a dogfight, bloodbath uh, sort of game. Um, I don't. I don't see a favorable start. In fact, I mean, I, I think it's conceivable they're one and four. You could make the argument they're one and four going into October. So, with that being said, I'm taking uh, well, the questions we asked. I'm taking. I'm saying no to d- defense was terrible last year, and offensively, um, you know, while I think they'll be good, can they reach 31 points per game again? They certainly have the players. Here's the, here's the photo, guys. 119 players and 140 staff members. And it looks like a marching band behind them. It looks like the band and the team got together for a group team photo. Team looks tiny. Team looks tiny. It's it's if you're if you're listening. So the players <laughs> in the uniforms with the white numbers, surrounded by the staff in blue polo shirts, <laughs> but the staff is up the side and across the it's, back. And I, I mean, it's a half. It looks like half and half the ratio in this picture. Yeah. It's almost like a private school sales pitch. Hey, you come here, and then the elementary school, coach. elementary wing, it's seven to one, uh, student to teacher ratio. At, at Florida, if you come play football here, it's two to one, coach to player <laughs> ratio. You're going to have yeah. two individual player coaches for every player on the roster. You'll have two coaches coach you, you get at all a position time coach for every one player. Plus, it's it's ridiculous. If Florida is going to exceed expectations this year, a couple things going to have to happen. Anthony Richardson has to be great, and he has to be great in Billy Napier's offense right off the bat. Billy Napier's offense, he's a good offensive coach. This is not some cutting-edge, fast-paced, spread-option-type attack. They're going to run, 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 and they're going to run heavy at you. But they're going to do it from some interesting formations and do some different things with it. So it is a run-heavy attack, uh, almost pro-style, but not really. He's a good offensive coach, and they're going to do some – some cool things offensively, but it's not what you think of when you think of offensive innovator in college football. With Billy Napier, Richardson has to be great, and he's got two guys coming from Louisiana that played for him there that have to contribute immediately. Osiris Torrance may be their best offensive lineman. He's an NFL-quality pick. Uh, He's transferring over from Louisiana, and Montrell Johnson has three or four years left of eligibility. He's a sophomore. Yeah, he was a great freshman player, running back, for Florida, he was turning heads in spring. He may be their starting running back right off the bat. So on offense, 
obviously the quarterback, Anthony Richardson, then a couple of Louisiana transfers, maybe two of their better players. They've got talent, but there was something missing a year ago. And if you want to argue that the one thing missing was good leadership from the head coach and Dan Mullen, who up until then had a great track record, uh, the year before, three straight years. In of fact, New took Year's them Day to bowls, took right? them to Atlanta, and then it crumbled. And they won the SECs the year before and yeah. played Alabama in a pretty good game in Atlanta in the SEC I can't wait to find out about what happened to disintegrate behind the scenes because we, the three of us we we had Dan Mullen on what, like a decade ago. Uh, this was well, was it maybe not that long ago? Whenever the job was open in St. Not St. Louis in Los Angeles when Fisher was fired. Going into Before that offseason, and McVeigh had not been hired yet, he was opening openly campaigning for the job. Like, hey, do you want to coach in the NFL? Yes, I would love to coach the Rams. Like, we didn't even mention the Rams. Yes, I'd love to coach the Rams. They, yeah, um, I've been taking a long uh, look at their roster, and I think they really got something there. He's not. Uh, I mean, he just does not come across as a guy that just goes off the rails. To me, anyway, it was. It's peculiar how things ended in, in Gainesville. The other and thing they're they missing. Well, and that, that's why I'm not buying. It's just, oh, now we got a, a, a real coach in, and it's yeah. going to completely turn everything around. That's not a knock at Billy Napier. I just have a hard time believing that Dan Mullen let it fall apart to the point that one coaching regime change, and a year later, and suddenly they're competing with Georgia again at the top of the East. Paul, they, it- they get 13 of 53 touchdowns back. So in the turnover, yeah. not the football turnover department, in the people turnover department, they've got a lot of scoring to fill in. And that's not to say, by the way, that Mullen was great. Was it the Bama game where he made some odd choices, even though it was a close game? Like some They should have won. Game management game. decisions, or was it later in the season? Yeah, they should have won that game. Um, well, just thinking got, back, there, there were... He got bad in a hurry. When they lost, I remember, Hutton, we were at the Alabama-LSU game in early November when we looked down and saw them lose yeah. badly to South Carolina, and I thought, he, he may be done. That was the first time I truly believed that he was going to get fired, and then they lose to Missouri a week or two later, and he is fired. So where do you, where do you have Florida stacking up in 2022 in the East? I have them behind Kentucky. I have them behind Tennessee. I have them behind Georgia, of course. I don't – I mean, I – I don't think they're as good as Kentucky or Tennessee. I think both Kentucky they, and Tennessee should beat them this year, but you mentioned the history with, with Tennessee. That's, right. That is one that they seemingly cannot get over the hump, and it took everything under the sun thrown at Florida to finally get over the hump in 2016, and that was six years ago, the last time Tennessee was able to beat them uh, in Knoxville. But I think just on paper with who's coming back and stability at coach, I give a slight edge to both – I think they're fourth. I think they're ahead of South Carolina. I think the ultimate X factor is Spencer Rattler there. To me, there's just like it is Richardson. There is in the East, there is a clear number one in Georgia, and there's a clear six and seven, Missouri Vandy. Yes. I think it's musical chairs with the other two through five. Yes. Yeah, the other four. I think you could make a case for any of them finishing second or fifth. Yeah, look at this team against Utah, Kentucky, Tennessee, LSU, Georgia, A and M. How many of those are they winning? I think they're in Tennessee. Trouble. Go ahead and mark that down as a W. I think a lot of people believe. <laughs> but outside of that, I mean, yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be tough. I'm, I, see, I'm hesitant to pick Florida outright in the matchup against Utah because of what, and this this lingers with me. The way UCLA punked LSU last year. They never see the Pac-12 out-physical an SEC opponent like LSU. I would put Florida on that same bar. 
And I think a lot of people, the gambling public, thinks that Utah is coming in with some finesse style and that Florida is going to push them around up front. I don't buy that. No, they're going to. I don't. They're going to hand the ball off. Utah's legit. And, and because of that, I think that's that's one I'm staying away from. At least as I sit here today. Um, and then you start thinking about what Kentucky can possibly do with Will Levis and their run game. I'm, I'm guessing Rodriguez is is the guy there. We haven't heard anything, right, on the spin. No, he's going to be uh, – it, it, it was announced it's going to be either two or three games. Uh, that that was a report. I don't think so, Stoops has said it. Okay. But everyone immediately said, good for Stoops because he's not going to play the, the Florida, Florida game, game, which everybody thought that he had you know, miraculously come back for okay. Florida. But he's definitely missing Florida. That changes maybe game three. That also. changes the dynamic there because he's arguably the best running back in the conference. He's right there. Um, and then Tennessee. This is this is Tennessee's year to get him. Yeah. It's. It, I mean, so conceivably, the following year they'll be breaking in a new quarterback. Tennessee will one way or the other. Yeah. And they'll be in in the swamp. This is a home game, and if Florida is zero and two. Limping into that Tennessee game, Desperate. I think that they may have a, a, a an easy oh South they Florida, they have South Florida right before. Let's say they're one and two heading into that right. game. I mean, that's even if Tennessee were to go on the road and lose to a top twenty pit team in a close game, I'd still think advantage Tennessee with a one and two Florida team coming in and many uh, to will, that game. Many are thinking back to last year. Tennessee game. would be Keep two and mind, one. They play Akron, I think, in week three. That's when Hendon Hooker came in and took over, and then the following week after Florida is when they put up sixty three on Missouri. Yeah. So that that's when they took off, um, but it didn't happen in Gainesville. Joe Milton started that game, and then Hooker finished, and, and then they Hooker, were off to Hooker this version of never what they looked are. back from that point on. So yeah, I think I think I have them. Yeah, you know, just pinpointed somewhere fourth or fifth in the East, and I, that's probably me undervaluing them a great degree. But I just I don't see it being an easy road for Billy Napier in year one. And I know recruiting's been, but I, I think he's a very good coach, but. This is not some remove Mullen, insert Napier, and everything's great. Even though I think Anthony Richardson has the chance to be. As weird as it sounds, I think the Utah-Florida game has got the makings of a program win for Utah. Yeah. That sounds weird talking about the two programs. This is a program type. We know what we're doing. We know who we are. We have an identity. We've got a coach that's been here. I think he's the second or third longest tenured head coach in, co- in major college football now in Kyle Whittingham. That, that, that's a program win for Utah in that game. And it's a lesson for the first game for Billy Napier and what he wants to establish at Florida. It feels that way to me with what Utah should go into the swamp and do. They, they are chock full of talent in the secondary at Florida, but very young, you know, sophomores. Jason Marshall. Has Florida ever had a secondary that's not super talented? I feel like going back 25 years, there's always always two NFL draft picks or potential ones in the secondary. And they always have that veteran safety at Florida too, don't they? Yes. Trey Dean, I believe, is still there. He's been there forever. Um, And then uh, others back there too. Um, So imagine this. Imagine Florida wins against Utah and Kentucky. And the magnitude of that Tennessee game. It got massive buzz. Yeah, then it's, I mean, then that game is for, at that point in the season, conceivably second, second in the place. East. You're thinking that's a, that's a playoff game to finish second behind Georgia. A lot of things have to happen after that, obviously, that early in the year. But depending on how Tennessee looks in the first two weeks, 
And then if Florida's coming in at two and two and zero, three and zero, yeah, that's that could very well be three and zero versus three and zero in Knoxville, and everybody thinking this is the program that's going to next challenge Georgia. If not this year, they're on they're on their way to challenging them. Coming up, a set of identical twins married another set of identical twins, and the result has troubled Paul. That's next on Outkick Three Hundred and Sixty. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. One set of identical twins married another set of identical twins. I'll kick 360 rolls That's on. That's it. That's the story. There you go. So then. That's Paul, it. All right, guys. Good show today. All right. We just said it. We said it all right what, there. Uh, what caught your attention here other than well, them looking identical? Then they each have uh, babies. Boys. Son. Sons. <laughs> and these sons are, are in the natural course of events, cousins. <laughs> Look at these guys. But Look they're also <laughs> genetically... <laughs> It's like you just flip the uh, the screen on them. Gen- genetically, they are brothers. They're cousins, yeah. but genetically the same as brothers. That kind of freaks me out. If you're an identical twin, with all that that accompanies, I would think that you would want to get away from other identical twins, at least in the realm of dating. Well, so... I've always thought about this. I have, there's a lot of identical twins in my, in the Withrow family. I think there's four sets right now. There's been more. All identical. All identical. My dad's an identical twin. So skips a generation. I've got younger cousins, two girls in their twenties that are identical twins. I've got a cousin set that's of my generation that are in their thirties, two girls who are twins in the family. But the way I've always viewed it, the way you just said it, Paul, brothers and cousins genetically, my dad's identical twin has a son and a daughter. So genetically, I have all half-brothers and sisters, four of them. Well, I'm half-brother and sister to them genetically. Our dads share the same identical twin genetic code. Right. So they're my cousins, but it's also my half-sister and half-brother. That is uh, that, hard to get one's head around. Yeah. So... I. But what's weird about it is I have as much genetically in common with my two cousins as I do any of my brothers and sisters. You see what I'm saying? Yes. We have, we have, we have on all of them regardless. So I kind of have six brothers and sisters, if you look at it that way. And these, uh, these would not be kissing cousins because they are brothers. <laughs> well, the, the other thing that surprised me is I would have never, I would have been way low on this guess if you said how many families have this same setup. Um, according to the article, uh, Metro, the uh, UK, right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. 300, there are 300 families like this in the world currently. Who did? Uh, think about Idents marrying Idents. Think about the, uh, the level of competition. If, like, everyone, you're looking at every pound gained. 
every difference in appearance, who's aging quicker. Like just mentally, if everyone's married to the same, you know, you're married to someone and she she's saying, your identical twin is in way better shape than you. Like that's weird. My sister got the better end of this deal. He makes more money. He's smarter. He's this. Yeah. As you age, you're going to age differently. And it's like, man, you would be really driven to keep up with your identical twin and not let them pass you in appearance, okay. in smarts, and everything else. I would think but also, you've got this driver of you're married to an identical twin. So there's that they're constant also, rivalry. They're also way too into this. Maybe it's cool. I, don't, I think it's weird. They, they proposed to these women at the same time. And they were married in Twinsburg, Ohio, wearing identical dresses. Yeah, it's it's a little much. I, I don't know. I just find the whole thing at, that brothers they who each, are cousins at at they each got pregnant. At the same There's time. nothing wrong with it, right? Based on this photo, right? Yeah. So they're living <laughs> I mean, a dual life. Look, I would get married in room? this situation for <laughs> for the laughs, right? I mean, they could play tricks on people constantly. You just doubled yeah. your tricks. You already had it with your sister where you could do incredible <laughs> things, right? Where you could go and, you know, she could come fill in for you to finish your date and, and stuff like that. But now you've got it with the husbands as well. I mean, you could I, do a TV show on this. I just, I'm surprised I, I, maybe, it's not I, maybe I'm just wired differently, but I just immediately think about how competitive I would be in every situation with the twin, especially with two women competing and then talking about wanting to be looking better, all of that. <laughs> well, they're for very the other loving. Twin. They're very loving and accepting of each other. There's no uh, one closer than twins. That's what I hear. They have way more love in their heart than me. <laughs> <laughs> the latest on NFL joint practices, including Cardinals and Titans, next.